Father, I'm so grateful to be here with these sisters of mine, um, your daughters. Um, I am just um, overwhelmed with joy to open up your word again and to um, be changed and challenged and corrected where needed. I ask that you would make us smarter than we are naturally so that we can understand um, these words that you spoke through your servant, Paul. Would you um, use them to draw us closer to you and to fill us with more desire for you and your word? And would you um, bring glory to yourself in this lesson and in our discussion and our small groups, Father, so that um, your light might be reflected in our lives as we interact with the people that you've placed there and um, that you would just continue to bring glory to yourself and fill us with love for you. Use us for your service in whatever way you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, um, I want to talk a little bit about false advertising. I wonder what might be something that you have believed or done as a result of false advertising. Maybe it was not actually false advertising in the legal sense of that phrase, um, but maybe there was something that you believed or that you did based on someone else's actions or their ideas. Or maybe you chose not to do something or to believe something because of what you saw in someone else's life or having read some of their ideas. And I would, I would wonder what the result might have been in your life as a result of um, believing that false advertising. So as I thought about that question, those questions for myself over the last day or so, the, there was one word that kept coming to mind, haircuts. I can't tell you the number of times that in my life that I have bought, bought into the false advertising that this particular haircut would allow me to wash and go. Um, I have endured bad haircuts in many seasons of my life, and you would think I would learn, but I keep forgetting. Um, for me, the false advertising resulted in bad pictures for about six to 12 months, and I experienced that every time I tried a new haircut. For the people who are part of the church in Rome, False advertising was actually causing some to misunderstand God's plan of salvation and how one becomes a part of his covenant people. Last week, Kristen walked us through what it means for God to be a righteous judge, how he is qualified to be a righteous judge, and what we can expect when we live in sin against him. In our time together this week, we will look at how Paul methodically takes apart the reasoning that some Jewish believers had been counting on as a basis for their standing before God. So here's our outline for today. First, we're going to look at the indictment of the Jews that Paul brings forward. We're going to talk about circumcision versus uncircumcision. And we're going to ask the question, is there an advantage for the Jews? Finally, we'll look at how grace is revealed at least how I saw it revealed in this passage. So, beginning with indictment of the Jews, we're going to look at Romans 2, 17 through 24. So the Jewish Christ followers in the Roman church were saying, we have the law, 
We know God. We teach others. So let's look at what Paul says in Romans 2:17 through 20. You who call yourselves Jews are relying on God's law, and you boast about your special relationship with him. You know what he wants. You know what is right because you have been taught his law. You are convinced that you are a guide for the blind and a light for the people who are lost in darkness. You think you can instruct the ignorant and teach children the ways of God, for you are certain that God's law gives you complete knowledge and truth. So notice Paul doesn't necessarily negate these claims of these Jewish believers. In fact, in some ways, he's kind of affirming that, yes, they did have the law. Yes, they do know the law. Yes, in fact, you should be um, teaching others. But he says, hold up, let's consider your actions and be honest about how you're evaluating yourself. In Romans 2, 17 through 20, which we just read, Paul begins to point out the false advertising of the Jewish believers. After listing what they claim, Paul in essence says, really? What about your life? So let's look at the next couple of verses, starting in 21. Well then, if you teach others, why don't you teach yourself? You tell others not to steal, but do you steal? You say it is wrong to commit adultery, but do you commit adultery? You you condemn idolatry, but do you use items stolen from pagan temples? Presumably, Paul uses these examples because of how commonplace these were in the Roman culture. And although not every Jewish believer would have engaged in these practices, it is likely that some did. Paul's point is to highlight the tendency to teach, but not practice. By living this way, the Jewish believers were giving false advertising about the one true God in several ways. They believed that because of circumcision, they were safe as God's people, even in spite of their disobedience to God's law. They believed and advertised that circumcision superseded any consequence that might come as a result of their disobedience. They also participated in false advertising in another way because... The result of their hypocrisy was that the Gentiles blaspheme God. Let's look at verses 23 and 24. You are so proud of knowing the law, but you dishonor God by breaking it. No wonder the scriptures say the Gentiles blaspheme the name of God because of you. So how does a believer's disobedience blaspheme God? In the context of the passage from Isaiah that Paul quotes in Romans 2.24, which we just read. Let me read it again. The Gentiles blaspheme the name of God because of you. So that that passage is from Isaiah. Um, God's name is being blasphemed among the Gentiles, and it comes as a result of the people of God living in disobedience. So the children of Israel were known throughout the ancient Near East as the people of Yahweh. But due to their disobedience, their lives actually gave false advertising about the one true God. Because the people of God were unfaithful to the covenant, God's wrath, in faithfulness to what he proclaimed in the covenant, God's wrath was poured out on his people because of their disobedience. 
the wrath was manifest by them being exiled from their land. And the Gentiles involved in that exile, so the, the nations that came in and conquered both the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah, they were involved in the exile. And those nations, as well as the other nations in the known world at that time, they were um, wrongly, they wrongly assumed that because they were able to conquer this people of Yahweh, that their gods were in fact stronger than Yahweh. And we know that Yahweh is the one true God. But because of the disobedience of God's people and his wrath being poured out on them through the nations that came and conquered him, remember God used those nations to bring his wrath on the people of Israel, the people in the world around them then had the wrong understanding of who God was. And because of that, God's name was blasphemed among the nations. So what about for us? How might we cause others to blaspheme the name of God? So if I call myself a Christ follower, and yet I participate in behavior that's destructive to me or to other people, then my affiliation with Christ, while I am participating in destructive behavior, results in Christ's name being besmirched and blasphemed. So what do my attitudes, we've got to ask ourselves the question, what do my attitudes and actions reflect back on the name of Jesus when people hear that I'm a Christ follower? So let's make this really personal and specific to our day and time. Let's ask ourselves these questions. Do I engage in name-calling of people who vote differently than me? Do I mock those who disagree with me about masks or what I believe about vaccines? Is my first response anger or dismissal when people disagree with me about how we are to live in reconciliation with the people around us as Christ followers? Am I quick to speak and slow to listen, rather than, as James tells us to be, to be quick to listen and slow to speak? I think we have to be specific. When we're reading scripture, when we listen to Paul indicting his original audience, we have to put ourselves in the place of that. And we have to use examples that are common in our lives, just like Paul used examples that were common in the lives of his first audience. He didn't use those examples because he was pulling them out of a hat. He used them because he knew it would speak conviction to the people that were hearing his message. So when we read scripture, we've got to ask ourselves questions that include examples from our own lives so that the conviction of the Holy Spirit can hit the bullseye on the places in our lives that need to be cut away. Ignoring sin is not just wrong, it's a form of blasphemy because it lets our actions say that God's judgment, and when I use the word judgment in this sense, it's God calling something sin. So ignoring sin, it says that our actions, um, our actions say that God's judgment is somehow amiss that God is off base in his understanding of right and wrong. 
it gives false advertising to the world about who our God is. This wrongly represents our holy God to a lost world. And our actions indicate that God is tolerant of sin. So I just mentioned that cutting away, right? The, what, what the Lord Jesus needs to do in our heart, cutting away. Um, so let's look at circumcision and uncircumcision in Romans 2, 25 through 29. Let me read um, just 2:25 at this point. The Jewish ceremony of circumcision has value only if you obey God's law. But if you don't obey God's law, you are no better off than an uncircumcised Gentile. So here Paul is talking about a switch, right? So he's talking to his Jewish believers who have been um, leaning on their under, what they understood circumcision to mean, uh, based on, or what they understood circumcision to mean and the influence it had between, in their relationship with God. But Paul is saying, no, um, your circumcision actually becomes uncircumcision. Um, the homework that Laura Wilkerson wrote for us this week did a great job of walking us through the difference between circumcision and uncircumcision and how those two things can actually be switched in our hearts and minds uh, based on how we live in our, in our posture before God. So that phrase, the, sec the second sentence in that, uh, in that verse, but if you don't obey God's law, um, and in, in the ESV I think it says, and if you are a lawbreaker, you are no better off than an uncircumcised gentle, so that, Gentile. So that phrase um, literally means your circumcision becomes a foreskin. So in their disobedience, they negate the intended effect of circumcision, and they display the true state of their hearts. So true members of God's covenant. Let's look at 26 and 27. What does Paul say about that? And if the Gentiles obey God's law, won't God declare them to be his own people? In fact, uncircumcised Gentiles who keep God's law will condemn you Jews who are circumcised and possess God's law, but don't obey it. The true members of God's covenant are the uncircumcised who obey God's law or the circumcised who are obeying God's law. They are declared God's people, in fact, and in fact, their obedience actually condemns those who claim to be a part of the covenant people because they are circumcised, but they live in disobedience. So what is the evidence? The evidence that we can look at in our, in our own lives to see whether or not we too are like these Jewish believers um, leaning back on what we think we understand about the word and about our relationship with God. Let's look at verses 28 and 29. For you are not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you have gone through the ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it is a change of heart produced by the Spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not from people. So the Jews of this day praised one another for their perceived faithfulness to the law. Let's just consider for a moment who were thought of as the most faithful in their culture. It was the religious elite, those who were of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And these religious elite welcomed and sought the praise of the people around them. 
This practice of blatantly seeking the praise of the people was so rampant that several other times in Scripture we see Paul address, Paul and the other apostles um, address this desire on the part of people to seek the praise of other people. Let me just read one passage um, from 1 Thessalonians 2. This is verse 4. For we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our heart. One piece of evidence that we are depending on self rather than on God is that we continue to look for approval and praise from other people. Rather than living, as Paul just mentioned in 1 Thessalonians, rather than living with our eyes solely on God and what he has to say about our lives. So Paul then shifts and moves from calling out the Jewish believers to anticipating some questions they, um, that they might have had about his argument. The first is, is there an advantage for the Jews? This is in Romans 3, 1 through 4. Is there an advantage for the Jews? Let me read Romans 3, 1 and 2. Then, what's the advantage of being a Jew? Is there any value in the ceremony of circumcision? Yes, there are great benefits. First of all, the Jews were entrusted with the whole revelation of God. They were given the word of God. They were given the one way that um, anyone could have relationship with the one true God. Um, They were told the path of being in relationship. And, um, and they were the people through whom the Messiah was to come. If we go all the way back to Genesis 12, when God calls Abraham to follow him, he tells Abraham right at the beginning, Abraham, through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. So they were to be a light to the Gentiles. Um, Paul will develop that particular idea um, further, the, the idea of the Jews having any advantages He'll develop that further in Romans chapters 9 through 11. So for now, let's look at the next question about uh, the Jews' failure and God's faithfulness. So look with me at Romans 3, 3 and 4. True, some of them were unfaithful, but just just because they were unfaithful, does that mean God will be unfaithful? Of course not. Even if everyone else is a liar, God is true. As the scriptures say about him, you will be proved right in what you say, and you will win your case in court. So the Jews' failure to obey God's word has brought judgment, which has highlighted—they were saying this. um, The Jews' failure to obey God's word, they were saying, um, highlights God's righteousness. But what it actually did was just highlight God's faithfulness— to his own word, in that he um, was faithful to the covenant promises that we find in Deuteronomy 28 and 30. So the the covenant promises, if you look at those chapters, you'll see spelled out very clearly um, what God's people could expect of him and what his faithfulness would look like. What his faithfulness would look like when they were obedient, but also what his faithfulness would look like when they lived in disobedience. And included in those passages in Deuteronomy are clear consequences for failing to obey the law. 
So as a result of that understanding, that God was actually acting in faithfulness, and he was truly being faithful to his word um, when he allowed the wrath of um, his wrath to fall on his people and his people to be exiled. God was showing himself faithful to his covenant. So with that understanding, I think it's um, helpful. We're, we're better able to see that God's judgment um, really is actually him living out what he said he would do. God is who, who he says he is, and he will do what he says he will do. And what the Jewish believers were saying here, the question that they're asking in, in this particular passage is, well, I mean, like my sin, it just shows that God's more righteous. Um, and they're completely missing the point that God's, God will be faithful when, even when other people, even when his people are not faithful. So moving on to um, the next two verses, uh, Romans 8, I'm sorry, Romans 3, 5 through 8. But some might say, our sinfulness serves a good purpose for it helps people to see how righteous God is. Isn't it unfair then for him to punish us? This is merely a human point of view. Of course not. If God weren't not entirely fair, how would he be qualified to judge the world? Kristen beautifully defended God's right to judge the world last week in last week's lesson. These two verses present another question that Paul anticipates his first audience might have had. Um, and even here, we see his, their false advertising. The people were trying to rationalize that their disobedience could produce the positive outcome of spotlighting God's character. Sinfulness just makes God's righteousness that much more visible. If what they were saying is what they were saying, Paul's argument against this will be fur further developed in Romans 6 in particular, but for now we need to remember the truth about sin. All sin separates us from God. No sin um, has benefit. In fact, the only thing that comes of sin is um, storing up more wrath for Judgment Day. Let me read verses 7 and 8. But, someone still might argue, how can God condemn me as a sinner if my dishonesty highlights his truthfulness and brings him more glory? And some people even slander us by claiming that we say, the more we sin, the better it is. Those who say such things deserve to be condemned. Paul doesn't mince his words. Um, so, like I just said, sin accomplishes nothing but storing up more wrath for Judgment Day. The Jewish Christ followers may have wanted to come up with a way to rationalize their disobedience. What it was actually doing was falsely advertising that the one true God was not a God who held to his word. Each time I succumbed to the false advertising about a haircut that could let me be wash and go, I dealt with a few months, maybe a year, of bad hair days and lots of horrible pictures that I still try to hide from my children. When the Jewish believers in the church in Rome engaged in false advertising, the, the eternal state of people's souls were in the balance. This could not be more serious. What people know about the one true God through your life and my life matters. So how is grace being revealed in this passage? 
I believe that grace is revealed by showing us again that God's righteousness and faithfulness are unwavering, even in the face of my unfaithfulness. As this passage shows us, God is still the righteous judge and the one true faithful God, even when his people are unfaithful. We can be certain that he will judge righteously and he will faithfully administer judgment when sin is present. Even though his people are unfaithful to his word, God will always be faithful to his word. Even when that means bringing judgment in response to sin. But we can also be certain that God will righteously and faithfully administer his plan of salvation and and when we acknowledge that Jesus is the one way to salvation and when we call on his name, we can know that God will do what he promises to do and will save our souls. So what do our actions and attitudes tell the people around us about who God is? And where might there be false advertising in our lives? I think we need to meditate on those questions um, as we go through this week and consider what it might be that the Holy Spirit wants to cut away from your heart and mind and in your life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are grateful that you were the one true Israelite and that you took the punishment of our sins that we can, in fact, stand righteous before God because you impart your righteousness to us. Um, you took uh, what was um, ours um, in punishment, and um, you declare us righteous as we look to you um, to be the one way of relationship with the one true God. And we are so very grateful for that. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would bring conviction to our hearts, um, open our eyes, cause us to be willing to um, think about ourselves with sober judgment so that we truly can respond to your conviction and yield so that you can um, do the work that is necessary to cut away um, the flesh that might be falsely advertising to the world around us um, things about um, who we might think you are. Father, uh, show us the truth and cause us to walk in that truth and um, fill us with a desire that is unending for that truth so that we might reflect who you truly are to the people around us. In Jesus' name, amen.